This message was brought to you by Christian Service. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Fancy File Podcast. I am your host, Greg the Scott, and today I have a very excellent group roundtable of co-hosts, co-panelists, co-guests, I guess, uh, but there will be no surprise today on who is with me, because they're with me all the time. They are literally my like greatest friends. Oh, so I will introduce... My team with me today for the Fancy Files, I have to my left and to your left on the radio dial, depending on where you're listening, the Mighty Mick. Mick, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. Really? Remember how we used to ask if you were rejoiced? I remember that. Okay. Are you still doing that? Well, after having released my own book and making a bunch of English mistakes in the first edition, I'm still rejoiced. Tell us about that, actually. Uh, It went well. People like it. You actually released the book. Yes, the book is out. Good. Which, uh, for those listening to the podcast, uh, I'm assuming you have bought your uh, copy already and it is in your hands. How would they do that if they just found out today? Did we tell them in a previous podcast? I think so, but okay. it's on Amazon and in whatever Amazon in the country you're listening from. Actually. So it's very possible that from the last time we recorded the podcast to now, the book has officially been released. Yes, it's Excellent. very officially been released and you can get it in French too. Excellent. Yes, it's called Not at Home. Now... I don't just have Mickey with me across the table from me and to mix left. I have the Ezrasaurus Rex. Don't call me Rexy. How are you doing, Troopy? Well, you know, life's imperfect, but I'm I'm riding the waves as best I can. Surf's up. Exactly. <laughs> and where are those waves taking you? Oh, uh, Crazyville. Crazyville. How are you doing, Greg? I'm good. I'm not riding the waves. That's for sure. That's ironic, actually, because, you know, you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt today. Oh, it's, oh, yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. It is. I got it at Winners. Is that taupe or salmon? I don't know. Salmon. Wait, what? He doesn't know. He's a man. <laughs> I don't know. I saw a shirt. I saw patterns. I think it's water. orange. Salmon? I only see flowers. <laughs> Guys are so This simple. man is wearing a pink shirt. Everyone, stop, Wait, stop the podcast. That's pink. <laughs> No, good to have you here, Ezra. And I want to tell everyone out there, Ezra does such a great job at editing the podcast. So the reason why you don't hear the pops anymore, like just go back and listen to the first podcast and then listen to the previous ones and you'll notice a huge difference in in quality. That's thanks to Rexy. Like the first four, I think audio-wise are our roughest. Well, there was one during the pandemic where we recorded. I was actually on my phone. It sounded like I'm in a tin can. Like, it honestly sounds like one of those, like, call-in radio stations where, like, someone calls in, but they're driving their car. Mm-hmm. That's me. And I was the host of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was a lot of fun. And to the, my, my right, and I don't know, Ezra's left, and across from Mick, we have uh, the only female on the podcast. Her, uh, her name is... Melflo. Melanie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is my my. Because he's name. talking about waves, you're talking about flows. It's like, what is going on? And what's with the flow on the podcast? Like, 
we just to do that with with Robin. We talk about Robin and jumping in and out of the flow. That was a reference, by the way, to Elf. If everyone was listening, I'm like, what do they mean by what? that? The movie Elf. Man, no one clued me in until now. Yeah. Thirty four episodes in. Now you tell me. <laughs> How it happens? We're landlocked. That's fair. <laughs> How are you doing, Melanie? I'm great, because school's out. Scream and shout. What time is it? Summertime. (laughs) Summertime. He got it. He got the reference. Good. Okay, so like and subscribe, all that good stuff. I'd love to spend 10 minutes explaining that to you. If you don't know what what we mean, just go listen to the previous broadcast (laughs) in the intro. You can find us on many places on social media, and I just do not have the time to explain it all. All the major platforms. Yeah, maybe. Are we on Twitter, though? No, we're not. Not right. yet. We'll, we'll have to we change that. Get we'll, we'll change that so we can tweet once in a blue moon. Yeah. Today, we're going through continuing our study. It's the fancy files on the churches in Revelation. <laughs> and we're doing the first one, which is chapter two, uh, the church in Ephesus. So if you've never read the book of Revelation, I would encourage you to do it. Yes, it can be a little scary, but it's not always scary. So it's not like it's in like the it's just intensity from the beginning to the end. Uh, unless you're a very intense person and everything's intensity, then well, have fun with it. So in chapter one, uh, John was given a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's quite an incredible revelation. It's something I would encourage you guys to go look up. We don't have time to dive in entirely into it, even though we could. But then we would never get to what we wanted to talk about today. At the end of that revelation, he is shown Jesus walking among seven lampstands. He's holding seven stars, which we know that the seven lampstands represent seven churches. And the stars represent, well, he says angels, which are actually pastors. Now, to each of those candlesticks, each church, Jesus is going to give a message to John for them. Now, I know some Christians take them in different ways. Some of them believe that they can represent messages to churches all throughout history. Some people believe that those churches represent period of time in church history. So say the church in Ephesus would represent first couple hundred years of uh, the early church. Maybe that's possible. I do believe this though, that through studying this, these churches, you're going to find all throughout history, churches that have or deal with those problems. It's not necessarily saying that, like, oh, you go to a church that's like Ephesus. But it could be. There could be qualities in those churches. Now, the point is this, is that Jesus is going to share some things with these churches, things he likes, things he doesn't like, warnings, encouragement, ways to deal and change their problems. And that's something I want us to look at. I believe this is very important for us as Christians. We need to examine our lives to this. I do feel that this is often overlooked and it shouldn't because this is this is the last message Jesus gives to a church. Jesus is speaking here. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's an unveiling. And through this entire book, you have this unveiling, this unveiling of, of, of Jesus in a deeper way, an unveiling of the church world. Like Jesus is telling the church world, this is what I see. I think it's important that we take notice of this. And we look at this, and not only individually should we look at this, but also as a church, look at this. If you're a pastor of a church, if you're a leader in a church, look at this and ask. Don't assume that everything is perfect. Ask yourself, is there things in our church that we need to change? Are we listening to what the Spirit says? Because at the end of every portion of Scripture addressed to a church, it says, 
he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I still believe the Spirit is saying these things today. So we need to look at that. We need to unpack that. We did read verse 1 last time. I'm actually going to have you in Revelation chapter 2 to read verse 2, and I'll probably have you read a few more verses later. Sure. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Thank you very much. Now, the reason why I had you read that verse is because I do not believe that in our previous podcast that we got through the last part of verse 2, which is one of the things that Jesus was very happy with this church. So he starts off here with the good. This is this, These are good things that this church is doing. And he says, you've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. Mm. Now, it's important to bring this up because in our modern church setting, and this is not every church, this is not all throughout church history, or sorry, this is not all throughout the church world, I should say right now. But I do believe that in the West, there can be an issue with Christians, not all of them, but some Christians may not have a complete picture of Jesus Christ. And so they will only look at the positive, the good things he says, the encouraging things he says. He's only loving. And loving for them means, oh, huggy and, and everything is good. And he's always happy. He'll never say anything negative. He won't say anything corrective. And maybe some of you are listening. You go to a church that's like that. You will never hear anything that you would label negative. Maybe you watch preachers on television that have large churches. You'll never hear them say anything negative. It's only positive. It's, always, it's only encouraging. Not that we don't encourage, or it should only be negative. Obviously, as a pastor, you need to preach positive things. You need to pe- preach encouraging things because you have to preach the whole counsel of God. And within the whole counsel of God, there's encouraging things. There's positive stuff. But it's not only that. Now, I like to call this the, you need to start acting like Jesus. And I think you will have some Christians, and they would do this to other Christians, be like, you're not acting like Jesus. I think they would read this, and if they didn't know it was Jesus, they would accuse Jesus of not acting like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this actually would be one of them right here, which would be shocking because this is actually a positive thing mm-hmm. because he's commending the church at Ephesus for what they're doing here, testing those who claim to be apostles. Mm. Now, besides the 12, there were other apostles, little a, not the ones that were given scripture, so to speak, those who walked with Jesus, but the little a apostles. These are ones that are commissioned to go forth and they, you could say they plant churches or they start a work of God somewhere. So you have these individuals who are going out and in this case are telling people they're apostles. Now, you may say, well, hold on, Greg. There's only only 12. Maybe you were taught that. Only 12. There's never any others called apostles. And I can understand why you might think that because we usually refer to the 12 as the apostles as if that's the only apostles. That's incorrect. In the so-called office of the apostle. Again, not the 12, not speaking with authority of Scripture. This is different. We call them the little a apostles. Now, if, if there were only 12, then Jesus would have clearly said, 
you're doing good because you have these individuals who say they're apostles and there's no other apostles. No, no. These are individuals who are claiming to be apostles. And because, yes, there are other types of apostles, again, little a apostles, not preaching with scripture, that we're going around and telling this church, yes, well, no, we're apostles. We've been commissioned to go out, plant churches, or start a work somewhere. And guess what? They found out, no, these individuals are not. They're actual liars. For sure. And to those who would argue that there are only 12 apostles or there were only ever 12 apostles, I can't remember the scripture offhand, but Paul very clearly teaches that there are five, for lack of better word offhand. The fivefold ministry? Yes, thank you. The fivefold ministry, right? We have the apostle, we have the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, and the teacher. All five of those Paul lists as people who are the leadership in the church. And again, as Greg mentioned, the apostle is little a apostle, not one of the 12 apostles that Christ has appointed. And I'm sure this is a topic for a podcast on another day, so I won't get too deep into it. But I think the idea behind it is every one of those heads of leadership has a function, and all of them are required. And in this case, the apostle... As Pastor Brent Robillard, my father, uh, always used to tell me, the function of the little a apostle is both, in some cases, to plant churches, but as a whole, as a thumb. If you can imagine the, the fivefold leadership as a hand, the thumb helps hold all the other fingers together so that mm. they can accomplish more tasks. Can That's you imagine? Yeah, yeah, like, like can that. you imagine how hard it is to do to do things without your thumbs? So that's what the apostle is supposed to do. He's supposed to help the rest of the heads function together and to work in the ways that the leadership of the church is supposed to function. So what I understand Christ to be saying in this letter is, hey, you're, you're seeing these people who claim to be apostles who are trying to help to keep the ministry moving properly and safely and as taught by Christ, but you can see that they're not doing their job properly. You can see their false teachings. And you can see that they're not helping to facilitate the leadership to do their jobs properly. Yeah. And I also want to clarify because you have some people out there who will hear, wait, 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 you mean there's other apostles and they think NAR. Ooh, yeah. We are not in any way encouraging or saying that we follow the NAR. So there are people today who go around calling themselves apostles. They are not apostles. I'm also well aware that a lot of people get put under the NAR banner that they themselves do not agree with with the NAR. Mm-hmm. However, this is not a podcast to go into that. But maybe, uh, just so that everyone know, I know we get hung up on that. We are not talking about the 12. We're not talking about apostles like Peter, like Paul, and saying that there's apostles like Peter, like Paul for today. What we're saying is there are those sent out, and I, I somehow remember, oh, forgive me for this, the Greek word for apostle, and I can't, I, I don't know if it's apostolos or something like that, which means sent out. There's something connected with that. So I do believe today you do have those who operate in that, I'll call it the little a, uh, going forth. And still, regardless, there is still a ministry there that they're doing, and there's a weight to that ministry. Mm-hmm. And you have in this church, and at that time period, individuals going around calling themselves apostles. They weren't only doing that. There were people going around calling themselves prophets and who were saying they were elders, saying that they were of Jesus Christ, saying that they were even sent out from James. And they weren't. They were liars. 
So the idea here is don't always assume that somebody who claims to be in position of authority or is of the Lord or in ministry is actually of the Lord and has been called by God to that specific ministry. These individuals, that church tested them. Okay, they claim this. Well, let's let's examine their life. And guess what? They found their claims to be false. Mm. That's very important that we as Christians discern today those who claim to be apostles, those who claim to be prophets, those who claim to be pastors, those who claim to be evangelists, those who claim to be teachers, are they actually who they say they are? Because not everyone who says that they're of Christ is of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus even said in Matthew 7, he says, there's going to be on that day many who say to me, Lord, Lord, we've done this. We've cast out demons, miracles, signs, wonders. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There was no relationship. They were never born again. Now, I'm sure some of you have heard this statement, touch not God's anointed. Mm -hmm. That's actually very popular in the Pentecostal charismatic world. And unfortunately, what that does is it removes the ability for the church to discern whether or not that individual is actually of God. Mm. And they're misquoting a verse from the Old Testament. And I don't want to dive into that Old Testament part because then we'll spend so much time on it. But they will do that. They'll say, oh, don't touch God. Oh, you're questioning me? Don't touch God's anointed. Don't question whether or not what I do. And there is a huge issue in the charismatic world. Again, not in every church. So if you're in a charismatic world, I'm not saying that you yourselves are doing this. But I know that there has been problems in some of these churches where the minute someone comes along and says, I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet, that's it, carte blanche. They can do it and say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. No one's allowed to question it. They will prophesy false things consistently and constantly, It's and you're not allowed to question it because they've been anointed by the Lord. But what does Jesus here say? He commends this church for actually testing these individuals. Okay, you say you're this. No, you're liars. And that means they actually were publicly doing it. These individuals are not apostles. They're not of the Lord. This needs to be done today. Mm. This, this needs to be done today. Churches need to discern those who claim to be in those positions of authorities. And I'm not, not even just churches, but individually. Don't automatically assume that someone has a big ministry on TV that they're of God. Mm. Don't automatically assume it. Now, obviously, yes, I know we can go too far with that. We can end up creating these... Um, heresy hunters. Yeah, we're heresy hunters. We create discernment websites, and every single person that does not see doctrine the way we do, we, we go out and attack them. That's also not appropriate. But just because it swings hard one way doesn't mean we ignore it and then swing hard the other way. We have to do what the Lord tells us. Now, I have a question for my panelists. And it's this, how would you respond to someone who says, don't question the pastor, teacher's, prophet, or apostle's authority? I think that if we take a step back and kind of try to find examples, right, some Christian or Christian-adjacent movements really do have that kind of cult of personality around certain roles and, and, and titles in the church. And it can allow for that separation between man and God, where it's like, well, actually... The only way to get through God isn't through Christ. It's through this 
this person, this mm. this pastor, this prophet, this evangelist, this priest, regardless. And I think the best way to go about it, right, is to really kind of question perhaps where or who's the true mediator, right? Mm. Like, what does the Bible say about the mediator? Well, the Bible says that it's Christ. Mm-hmm. And that means it's Christ is the one we go through to go to God. And so when people say, touch not the Lord's anointed, well, you're right. Don't touch Christ. That's Amen. about it. I like that, Mick. The rest is pretty much carte blanche. Mm-hmm. Not saying that we should go out attacking yeah. anyone. Exactly. I think my first question would be, as Greg Kokel popularized, what do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? And have you considered? Those are the three questions you should always ask somebody that you're going to get into an argument with. And I don't mean a fight. I mean a discussion of opposing views, right? So if an authority figure says, don't question me, or don't touch God's anointed, okay, what do you mean by don't touch the Lord's anointed? What do you mean by the Lord's anointed? Right? And how did you come to the conclusion that you are the Lord's anointed? Mm-hmm. Have you considered that Paul in, uh, I believe it was 1 Timothy, right? 1 Timothy and in Titus he very clearly lists out the qualifications that we are to be looking for in terms of eldership and leadership. So have you considered that? The church broadly, for the last 2,000 years, has been given qualifications to look for in our leadership. And if those qualifications aren't there, you are not qualified. It is not up to you to decide if you're the Lord's anointed. It's up to the Lord, and it's up to whether or not you meet the qualifications that is listed out in Titus and Timothy. So that would be my argument, is you don't have the right to determine whether or not I can question you. I have the right as a Christian, as a child of God, as a part of the Ecclesia, to look at anyone who claims to have authority and say, well, do you line up with Scripture? Is what you're teaching in line with the Bible? And do you, in your life, live out the qualifications that Paul says you need to have to be in leadership? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I used to attend a um a hyper charismatic church and so I encountered this like fairly often and there were people that came up to us and they would give us these words or these prophecies or there were um people who were like invited, I guess, like guest speakers or guest prophets or guest apostles and we were told to believe everything they said and when we brought it up to the leadership like this it, this doesn't connect. It doesn't really go with the Bible, or this person seems to be manipulating the situation for their personal gain, it wasn't well received. I don't know if that person quoted that specific Bible verse that you talked about, but it wasn't well received at all. And so no matter what you would present them in scripture, they didn't care because they were like, well, you're not at our spiritual level. Like they were at a place of pride and they wouldn't accept anything that we'd said. So after trying to tell them this over and over again and it wasn't working, we just had to leave. So if you're at a church where you're encountering this and you've tried to speak to the people there, I would encourage you to find another church. Yeah. And the verse that they take out of context is they'll use what David said about Saul. Mm-hmm. Touch not God's anointed. Now the thing with Saul is Saul was actually anointed yeah. by the prophet for the ministry of being the king. Mm-hmm. He was anointed. So David recognized that. Recognized, look, God raised this man up. 
to be king. And even though he's going to lose that kingship and it's going to go to David, David decides we're doing this in God's timing, Hmm. not in his ways. Now, I understand, yes, look, if there is a man of God who is touched by God, who has an anointing, we know he's saved. I want to act a certain way towards a brother. Because, yes, as pastors who love the Lord, we can we can say things or missay things, I should say. Maybe misinterpret a verse. Maybe not have a full understanding on a verse that will listen to him and be like, oh, he's wrong on that. And then you go and talk to him. Okay, this is not... Something like, okay, somebody just decides out of nowhere, oh, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, and then there's no accountability. You have no idea if this person is saved. This is not someone that's been raised up within a church. You don't know, and we're commanded in Scripture to address these things. Mm. That doesn't mean we're jerks about it. Of course not. I know we can go too far with that, but still, just because there's people who are jerks does not mean we, we don't do it at all. We have to do these things. Especially today when there's so many people going around prophesying things that are, that are incorrect. We need to take a lesson from Ephesus. Again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater just because there is error and we just go, oh, it's all, everything is error. N- no. The Bible says, let the prophets speak two or three, let the others judge. Yep. Let the others judge, meaning test it. Okay, you claim to be this. Well, we're going to see if it's true. R.T. Kendall wrote a book, and he's dealing with the uh, prophetic movement. And there was something he said that I I truly agree with this. So one, I do believe God speaks to us today. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, that does not mean it's Scripture or it's on par with Scripture. Let's just be very clear about that. I do not believe that as a Pentecostal believer. I do not believe that the Lord speaking to us is on par with Scripture or elevated above Scripture at all. However, we need to be very careful when we say God said. Mm. Because that carries so much baggage. Mm. I think it's best that if someone has the ability to prophesy or is a prophet or if someone has been given a dream, share it and be like, I think this could be something. I'm not sure. Let's test it. Mm. Because what if it's just your own mind? That's good. Right? Mm -hmm. If you always go around saying God said, then you're making it as if this is the prophecy when it wasn't. And if we do it right, one, it will encourage people who actually have the gift to operate in that gift without fear because they're doing it properly. And then it will encourage the church to allow these gifts to operate and also allow for the correction. Because I do not believe that if somebody says something that's off base, that right away you should throw them out. Oh, that's a person, not a prophet. They just spoke in the flesh. Mm. But the problem is they made the error in saying, God told me this. And so R.T. Kendall says that. We should really be careful with that. I agree with him 100%. Now, we want to go on to verse 3. Mick, can you read 2 and 3? Because it will make a lot more sense to read verse 2 and 3. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Thank you. Okay, this church... Another good thing that Jesus points out about them, they're enduring persecution, which was something that was common for the church world in the first century. They persevered. They didn't quit. They didn't become weary. Mm. They kept going. That pleased the Lord. Mm. He commends the church for that. And notice he says, for my namesake. This is not something, what they were doing, they were doing for themselves. They were doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know everything that they were doing that the Lord was pleased with, like, 
and, and they're continuing to do good. But we can assume, well, look, what are good things as, as churches that we should do? Like, don't quit seeking the Lord. Don't quit preaching the word. Don't quit in the ministries that God has given you. I think sometimes we get discouraged easily and maybe, you know, we'll feel God has called us to do something or look, we got to faithfully, obviously faithfully preach the word, be a praying church. And then people may not show up. And then what ends up happening? We, we, we give up and we get discouraged. No, no, don't get discouraged. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you. Or what if persecution comes North America? Like we're not really facing persecution. It doesn't mean that Christians aren't persecuted. Mm-hmm. It is very different compared to the rest of the world. And it's off obviously different from what they were facing. Yeah. Yet through everything that they were dealing with, they did not quit. Mm. They kept per- persevering. They didn't give up. And that pleases the Lord. Jesus doesn't want us to quit. He gives us something to do. We keep doing it. Like, honestly, I think today it could be a bit of an issue where we'll feel called to do something. And the minute opposition comes, like if it's like we have a bad day, we're done. We'll just give up. That really displeases the Lord. Mm. No, keep going. And then this is directed to a church, by the way. It could be very easy for churches, if they don't see the results, they'll just quit on something. Mm. No, if God is calling you to do something, do it. And we can't forget, right? While he was still here with us, and before he even died, Christ promised his followers, he promised the church, you will be hated by the world. You will be persecuted. Some of you will be murdered for my sake. Yeah. Because they hated him. And if they hate Jesus, they're going to hate the people that propagate and spread his message. So already we're told there is a high price to being a Christian. We can't just give up at the first sign of resistance. We're not in a religion that's like, Yo, guys, just go with the flow. Take the easiest route, man. Like, up front, Jesus told us, take the narrow road. It's not easy to get into heaven. There is only one road. There's only one door. You will face persecution. You are going to go against the flow. You are going to be hated by the world. Yeah. And so knowing that, we can't be in the mindset of, well, I'm just going to go until I meet resistance because that's, you know, all I'm here for. It's like, no, you are here to stand against the world. Amen. You are here to be different. You are here and you are going to be hated because you are carrying the light of Christ within you and the world hates the light. Yeah. Mm. Now, as we said in a previous podcast, uh, as we go through these individual letters in Revelation, we're going to notice that Jesus speaks commendation. He speaks condemnation, counsel, warnings, and promise. Now, I spoke about it earlier, how Christians might struggle with the warnings and the condemnation part, but now we're going to be switching gears a bit. As we go into verse 4, Jesus is actually going to tell this church, which he just says a lot of good stuff about. This is a church that's enduring. This is a church that hasn't quit. This is a church that's exposing false prophets or apostles, I should say. And yet still, he has an issue with the church. There's an issue that exists there. And again, that might surprise some of us. And it might surprise some of us to think that Jesus might have, actually definitely would have issues with churches today. Now, I don't know your church. I, I 
don't know how the Lord would address your church. I can't assume. I'm going to sit here and tell you it would be all condemnation or it would be all good. I, I don't know. But he will, and he does, I believe he's speaking. Now, this actually brings up a question I want to ask my co-panelists. In what ways do you believe that Jesus speaks to the churches today and specifically speaks correction? Like, how do you think he's doing that today? Personally, I think that one of the ways that Christ speaks to the church and corrects the church is so it depending obviously in what circles kind of you're in this vocabulary might be different or uh, you might never have heard it but i think christ sends correction to his church through what uh, we would call sola scriptura which is scripture alone this idea that through the scriptures and really even if other means are used it will never contradict the scriptures and so when we study a word things will be highlighted for us. Amen. And like, ram, like a rhema word? Is that yes, what exactly. Okay. Like a, a rhema or rhema word. I don't remember. But this idea that as we're preaching the word and as we're going through it, Christ is just showing us through the Holy Spirit what it is that needs to be addressed. Amen. And sometimes it's a lot harder and a lot less fun than we'd think, especially depending on the pastor, I guess. Right. Alongside that, as well as many other reasons... Um, I was always told that, uh, returning to the idea of the the five-head ministry, right, where the function that calls out sin and brings correction, like they all do, but the primary function of correction falls to the prophet. And I know it's taboo to say, you know, prophets because of the hyper-charismatic movement and and the the, the NAR and all these things, but if we're going to look at it practically speaking— what does the Bible say about prophets and what are the examples we see of prophets in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? They're not people that predict the future, typically. Like, I mean, yes, especially in the Old Testament when we're talking about messianic prophecy, mm-hmm. but primarily the function of the prophets in the Old Testament was, hey, thus says the Lord, smarten up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you look all through the Old Testament, we see the prophets saying, hey, you guys, you're living in sin. You've forsaken the Lord. He's delivered you of all the, these things. He's delivered your ancestors. He's given you all these promises. And here you are turning your backs on him. Mm-hmm. Look at the idols you're worshiping. Mm-hmm. Look at the sin that you're allowing into Israel. But you know what? Despite the coming judgment, because of what you're doing, the Lord has promised you a redeemer and followed by the prophecies about Christ. And again, Paul mentions it and even like, establishes the idea that in the fivefold ministry there is still prophets not necessarily that oh yeah we're going to get somebody that's going to always say thus says the lord and uh, predicts the future and tells you where to go in your life because god said this but they bring correction and personally my understanding and i'm sure he would deny this but Paul Washer, I think, is a good example of a quote-unquote prophet. I don't think Paul Washer would agree with that. (laughs) No, absolutely not. But if you look at the way he brings correction, he brings it firmly, he brings it softly, like firm but soft, where he's like, no, hey, look, look at the sin. You need to correct yourself, right? Like we all, I'm sure every one of us at this table has seen the shocking message, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He is not messing around when he says you need to correct yourself. No, he's not messing he around. He points out sure. that sin and he says you need to fix this. Shout you out need to Paul to Washer. Correct. Yeah. 
And I'm sure he, if he heard this, he would flat out say, no, I'm not a prophet. It would be great if he was the first one to write to us. I am not a prophet, <laughs> Rexy. Maybe. But if we're talking exclusively about the fivefold ministry and the, the different ministries that Paul highlights in terms of leadership in the church, I, I think part of like where the church finds correction is from the quote-unquote prophets okay. who, with the the reading of the word where they see, hey, this is sin, and God moves in them to stand up and say, hey, there's sin in this church, it needs to be corrected. Yeah. And that may not necessarily be someone in authority, it may not necessarily be a pastor or uh, an apostle or whoever, it may just be someone in the congregation, right? Because we see in like Paul's writings, he says, one of the gifts of the Spirit is prophecy, Yeah. right? And obviously it needs to be taken with a proper amount of scrutiny and as we see here, right, judgment. It needs to be judged. It needs to be held up to the word of God. It needs to be held up with what God has already said. But I do believe that God will raise up prophets who say, hey, there's sin in this church. You got to clean it up. Again, I'm going to quadruple make this clear. I'm not talking about how the hyper-charismatic movement mm. calls prophets. Mm. I just mean someone that God has stirred in their spirit via the Holy Spirit to point out sin. That's what I mean. That's my understanding. Yeah, I do think there is this, and I'll get back to the question in a second, but everyone's heard the term watchman. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do think that God has raised up watchmen in the churches, that, that there mm-hmm. is like, there is an element where there's like a prophetic thing there, mm-hmm. but it's like they can see things. They can see and then they're able to give warnings. I really feel... David Wilkerson was, was a watchman. David yeah. Wilkerson himself said he was a watchman and mm-hmm. not a prophet. I feel in a way Paul Washer is also. Mm. Yeah, for They're, sure. Like he is a watchman on the wall warning mm. the church, look, this is what's coming in mm. and you need to repent and deal with it. Especially one of the great things that he has done is he's pointed out how in some areas of the, of the church world they've gotten away from what does it mean to be born again. Mm-hmm. And I love how he explains it. It's a supernatural working mm-hmm. of God in the, in the individual. And look, it's more than just, I said a prayer, therefore I am born again. No, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit inside of you mm-hmm. and does a work of regeneration. And if you've truly been born again, you know exactly what that means. You've experienced it. Mm-hmm. You know that day when you got saved. And, uh, well, wait a second, the, li- the light literally went on. Mm-hmm. We went from analog TV to 4K, so to speak. Everyone's looking at me like, what? I mean, 4K. (laughs) I think one of the, well, the Holy Spirit is definitely someone who God uses, I guess, to to speak correction to us through conviction of sin. And um, I think everyone here knows exactly what that's like. Um, And also I was thinking about people in my life that Christ uses to speak correction. My pastor, my father even Greg, like there's a lot of people in my life that I'm surrounded surrounded with that speak correction over my life. And I do believe that these people were appointed by God to speak into my life personally. And I'm really thankful for them, especially for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. And I just want to say to the listening audience, there are, there are other ways I believe that the Spirit is speaking to the churches. And I do believe primarily it is through the Word. Right. And through the pastor preaching the word and then the church hearing the warning. That's why 
You need to have churches with pastors or elders or overseers or how, whatever you call them, preaching the whole counsel of God. But yes, I also believe there is the prophetic, uh, that there is the gifts of the Spirit, where God can use the giftings of the Spirit, including mm-hmm. tongues and interpretation of tongues, to warn the church of things. And then there's also cases where you might have individuals that God is just put, put on their heart to write a book. And in that book, there's warnings to the church. So it's not, mm. there's so many ways, and I'm sure some of you listening online might think of other ways. And so we don't want you to think that this is the only way. But these are some of the ways. And we need to be open to listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches today and to repent and listen. So we're going to land the fancy file plane for today on this episode of the podcast. I hope it was an enjoyment uh, for you guys. So I am your host, Greg the Scott, and I have today with me Marvelous Mick. Thanks for having me. Rexy, no Rexy. Always a pleasure. And the Melflow Pro. Melflow out. Thank you and God bless. <laughs>